0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Right Moves Podcast. I'm so excited to have Tessa Baden with me today to discuss how to be a parent who wants to raise healthy children. It's well known that playing outdoors is one of the best ways to raise healthy children, but many parents have concerns around safety and how to introduce play to their children. Tessa will discuss a checklist of sorts around this topic. Tessa Baden is a nature and play advocate who shares her personal transformation story to inspire reflection, connection, and evolution in others. She started her career at Camp C-A-M-P and preschools. She spent 15 plus years journeying through public and private spaces, exploring opportunities to ensure adults trust and honor children's learning to occur in its most authentic form. She encourages others to name the challenges and fears they face in working with children and find peaceful ways to transform thinking and action. Tessa is the mother of two strong, clever, and compelling souls. Her favorite place to be is outside camping, walking, hiking, but especially playing with loose parts in her backyard. Can't wait to hear from Tessa. I'm so excited today to have Tessa Baden on with me. Um, you know, I've been visiting with her for quite some time and uh, being able to talk today about all the things that she knows from her perspective is going to be very rich. So Tessa, thank you for being on today. It's really good to have you. All right. I'm happy to be here. Excited to chat. Oh, thank you. All right. So, you know, Tessa, we always start with uh the bio's out there, but we would love to know something that you can tell us that's really not on your bio that gives us a little glimpse into who you really are.
1: Um, so I was thinking, um, I like to write a lot of things, uh, and I always overshare and talk, so I was thinking of one thing, and one thing that's not there is that I was always on red. Do you know what I mean? Always on red? Yes. Know, in school?
0: Yes. Where they move your color? Yes. Yes. <laughs> some people may not know what that means so red right. is more of the anger yeah well and red
1: like it's it's when that teacher um is trying to help you do better by making sure you know how bad you've been <laughs> <laughs> and I I, I tell us a quick glimpse of my childhood as one of the teachers I would walk in in the morning and say well I'm gonna be on red anyway and I put myself <laughs> on red you know so and um, then you I think,
0: you
1: yeah and I think that that I keep Always go back to that story when I'm trying to share and inspire to reframe and rethink. So it's just such a big part of my past. Yeah. And, uh, it. Yeah. So.
0: So you know, I'm going to kind of spin off on this for a second. So you know, this is when you were a youngster, mm-hmm. and um, talking about reframing and rethinking definitely goes towards that stress model and cognitive behavioral therapy or or theory and. You know, really trying to think about, okay, am I putting positive thoughts out there or negative thoughts out there? And if they're negative, I sure don't want to have actions related to that, right? Right. So what have you been able to do with that particular piece with reframing and rethinking? I mean, are you doing some things with that now?
1: You know, I always talk about pivoting.
0: Mm -hmm. you know, in my
1: work. And so then of course I use that friends episode where they have the couch, right. And they're trying to pivot,
0: pivot. Um,
1: So, but I think it, it reminds me on a daily basis with my, my own personal mental health, as well as my work when in discussion with others and reframing is let's focus on what's going to do good, right? Give attention to where you want positive change, and I tell my it's it's real funny because my eight year old daughter almost eight year old next month, I tell her to, in working and problem solving with her three year old sister, what you give attention to, you get more of.
0: That's true. Kind of live by that,
1: and in, true. You know, in response to what you said, I try real hard to to use that as kind of a motto for work, for personal, for parenting, for all the things. So that is
0: awesome. Well, I want to circle back because I think. Uh, what you've been talking about here is something we're really going to launch into it, Right. So yeah. I'm going to circle back for a second. You're a play advocator. So you love play. I love play. We're going to have a great conversation around play. You're also a parent, which you just talked about, and you worked with early childhood development um, in your work experiences, as well as like you just said, in your home experiences. So I want to make sure that people on the, in the audience know that you have a lot of different ways that you're working with children Mm -hmm. uh, to be better through play, through advocacy of people understanding and being more knowledgeable on why play is important and so forth. Um, Anything else you want to say on that before we launch into early childhood and uh, early learning with you? Well, just to, I
1: mean, kind of to piggyback off what you said is that it, Play is the foundation for so many things mm-hmm. for, um, yes, for young children, but we look, if you look across the the generation, you know, the scope of age and what people need. Um, and so giving experiences to children, but also adults is something that I love to uh, talk about and share and honestly get more ideas from the people I talk to. What yeah. do you do to play? What are, you know, all of that stuff, oh. so...
0: And we will do that. You just throw things at me, too, and I will just go back and forth, okay? Okay. But I totally agree. I mean, I think one of the things that I have learned from 10, actually 11 years back now with Link, is I started out by working with kids. You know, I'm really trying to make the child experience better for them in a school setting. But as we went through the different pieces of getting them better at being able to play and have those experiences with play i realized teachers were benefiting as much from that outdoor time as the kids were and i also realized that par- that uh, adults really don't know how to play in a very unstructured way they can tell you all day that they can be in sports and they're they're doing pickup games and they're doing this and they're doing that and that's play to them but unstructured, it's really hard for some adults to say anything more than, well, I watch my kids play or mm-hmm. get involved with my kids, but not really as adults. Right. So we'll we'll talk about some of that today, too. I think that's that's going to be interesting. So let's just start out here um, with more of the early learning experiences. And how how would you best discuss nurturing those early learning experiences? Well. You know, it's
1: so hard to put words on it because I mean, it's so simple for someone like you and I. Yeah, you just have to trust. Yeah, right. But but for anyone else, you have to be able to explain the the power that it. You know, what are the what is the impact of that time and that? And so, when you think of early learning, when I think of my role as an early learning play advocate, and then play advocate for anybody to play, like you mentioned, is to uh, notice observe. Um, and so I'm just going to uh, mention, you know, my work and my role, who I am today is deeply rooted in what um, high scope curriculum. And now it is a curriculum, right? But it's also a philosophy. And I don't know if you've heard of high scope. I have not. Okay. So it's one word. It's an, And I was lucky enough, if lucky is the right word, I was lucky enough to be immersed in high scope training as a young teacher. Okay. And mm-hmm. after one year of teaching, I did think I knew everything in case you're wondering. Uh, I you
0: know most first teachers know that. Oh, yeah. I
1: was so good. I was, and that trainer came in and guess what? I was on red. I was rude <laughs> to her. I, I was impulsive. I said, no, that's not going to ever work children. You can't trust children to do that. Cause I was working with a group of children who I was having a hard time with. So there was no way that this play philosophy, this trusting children philosophy was ever going to fly. Right. Um, and so I'm thankful for that experience at such a young age in my career. And that's the only reason I am where I am. And the reason I bring it up is because the concept of soul, I learned through my high scope training. So soul stands for silent, observe, understand, listen, right? And when I think of early learning and play, I think of that as a tangible thing that you can help others when they are working in early learning, um, uh, spaces, uh, that they can do like checkbox, right? Like, I don't know how to play, or I don't know how to interact with kids. Well, if you follow this soul process, you're going to learn so much about someone that, that the next step
0: is so much easier. So repeat what soul stands for again. Let's make sure everybody's on the same page. Yeah. Silent, observe,
1: understand, listen. Yeah. People ask me, what are you supposed to say? You know, when a child says this or a child does this, they always ask me because, you know, I'm the person they call, my kid just did this. What do I do? How do I, how do I respond appropriately? And I say, what did you learn? Because that's what you want. You got it. What did you learn before you say or do the next thing? And I think this applies really well into this unstructured play conversation that you have been having, which I'm just excited to be a part of the conversation is, is you don't have to know what to say or do that's right right um and there's a place for completely unstructured play and there's a place for supported and and responsive and appropriate feedback play right or play where the child is getting specific and immediate feedback in a way that matters to them but you won't know you won't know what to say until you learn something about that child and their interests and and what and what's important to them and so I like that little tangible piece cuz uh, you know all my A type friends are like what do I do? And I tell them like can you check this list and then call me and what you learn. Yeah. Right? And they're like
0: yeah, oh. I think I think the most important thing and this is important for anything we do is we need to listen. Because the listening part, I mean that is very much a part of Okay. Are you listening to your child? Are you listening to the kids in the class? Are you listening to another person that's a neighbor of yours? Are you listening? Or are you already reframing what you're thinking about yeah, and sure. not hearing a word that person has said, right? Yeah. So that, that leads me to, we're just, we should do this. Uh, a I know. This could be a
1: stick, right? <laughs> <laughs> so what I was going to say is I, I then lead with uh, discussions around business talk or want nothing talk. Okay. So bit, what you just said, adults, usually we have an agenda, especially yeah. in public school spaces. Right. Um, and so we have a, or parents, like parents are thinking, what do I need my child to do? Or what's the next thing going on? Or I don't have time for this or, you know, but, um, business talk is when an adult knows what they want to say next. Right. And want nothing talk is, like you have no idea what you're going to say. You're just here to learn and listen. And, and I have to, you know, when I first started this, I didn't believe it for a little while. And one of the mentor per- people that kind of supported my learning helped me with a timer, you know, set away 15 minutes in a day. And say I'm gonna th- I'm going to practice my want nothing talk, and in 15 minutes when the timer goes off, I can say all the things, <laughs> my agenda or whatever. If you can remember them, right? right. <laughs> maybe you won't remember, and maybe that's the best for the child.
0: That's exactly right. <laughs> exactly.
1: So yeah, I, it's just fun to kind of think about the tangible things that help someone uh, know how to advocate for play and the and the impact. And of course, we haven't talked about every impact of play yet, right? Debbie, like, right. there's Just I mean, it literally can impact. A child's everything, cognitive, uh, academic, executive function, social, emotional, mental health, you know, everything. But um, anyway, so yeah, those are some tangible things that I love to to help with. Um, and I think your original question, excuse my, my cycle of, of thinking, was you know, coming back to the early learning, like the really young children and how powerful it is there. And I think, you know, talking to parents about how to s- use that soul for like an infant, mm-hmm we really don't give babies the respect or the trust or the, um, I don't know what the right word is, just believing in the fact that they can, tr- that they're a whole person ready to be heard and understood. I think our, our culture doesn't go by that very, you know, regularly. So, yeah,
0: and I think it's hard for the, for the adult with a baby because they they don't have a language that we know how to speak Mm
1: -hmm. or how to listen. Yeah. How to, how to understand exactly
0: what that language is. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I know it, I know that parents try really hard to understand the language of the baby, but it's really hard when you don't speak that language, right? You're trying to be an adult and listen to a baby with needs and they're mainly. Uh, deficit needs, right? It's like, I need my diaper changed. I'm hungry. Uh, I I need a visual to be able to play with. You know, I I need to be able to react to things. But sometimes we get stuck on the diaper and the hunger and we don't get past that.
1: Right. And that's the opportunities that we're missing out on to develop the early learning Mm -hmm. through play experiences. Um, And so Magda, I'm going to mention another name, Magda Gerber. um, And I think it's RIE Parenting um those you know acronyms i work in you know i work <laughs> in education acronyms are hard so rie um and with magda gerber she's one of those ones that helped me develop my passion for advocating for play for the earliest learners mm-hmm. and so we're talking as little you know as young as few days old what does play look like how to help um adults see what play is or their needs for play up into you know, my, most of my work is with early childhood up to about six or seven years old and now experiencing it with my, with my own daughter getting a little mm-hmm. older. So.
0: Well, tell me a little bit about, you know, when you're trying to experience this with the young ones and the types of things that you learn, can you give a couple of examples of things that you can use or techniques that come from this without giving everything away, but oh, I mean, yeah. just a couple of examples that, parents who may be listening to this could take and use?
1: Yeah, ways to nurture that the, the development of your child through play at such a young age can be as simple as uh, laying on the back. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And, um, and this is where soul is hard because as a new parent, you have a lot going on, a lot of things to do. So laying that child on their back on their back, looking up and, and actually not placing something in their face or over their head um, make, or someone walking from the kitchen and just saying, hello, right. Really using that soul process that I mentioned, silent, observe, understand, listen, look at that child and look what they're already good at. Right. So when you were saying deficit, that's like when, and then I think of what you can do bringing this conversation full circle from the beginning of when I was little, right. Mm -hmm. And getting on red, you know, when a baby starts to notice things, we are not slow enough to see what they're already showing you they're interested in right? That certain noises, certain natural things. So I always try to promote less is more. And I think, I don't know, you could tell me what you think. Uh, I think that goes all the way up.
0: Oh, I totally agree. I'm going to, I'm going to throw something in here that I learned from one of our professor buddies over in another uh, department from speech pathology and deaf Mm -hmm. habilitation, habilitation for the deaf. Um, They were telling me one day, and you know, it, I think it's something I intuitively knew, you probably already know this as well, is that children will, if you allow them the choice, young, young children who you're reading to, if you allow them to pick the book, they will learn through the repetitions how to read. But if you as the adult, I mean, so simple. If you as the adult think oh they're probably tired of this book i'm going to pick something different or as the adult i'm tired of this book i've been reading it every day for 30 days for them that's their learning experience right for us it's our noise getting in the way of what the child is telling us i want to read this book you allow that nurturing to take place through your reading with them. And they may point to pictures, little eyes, little nose, little ears, or they may point to a dog or, you know, whatever. And the adult may ask questions about it. But the bottom line is we need to allow the children to pick the book.
1: So young children will show you what they're interested in if you look at their gaze. Mm -hmm. Right. So you mentioned the gays. So my mother is a speech pathologist diagnostician. So, yeah, so she did all her work on me as a baby. Right. Um, which then, (laughs) I mean, all that talking got me into all that trouble. Right. So, um, okay. So when you think about the choice that young children can make, I think the trust, we go back to those words that I mentioned at the very beginning, trust, right? Mm -hmm. So if we could trust that young children have the ability to make educated, informed decisions, then we would note we would slow down and do that soul process and notice a little bit more so from the earliest age an infant will show you what they're curious about Right by looking, exactly. by moving, and so, like you said, the choice of book and young children that are nonverbal. If you want to, I love that you brought up books because one of my favorite discussions to have is to how to make book time more fun. And you, this is I not know. what this that's not what this d- today is about. I
0: know, I know, but it's
1: I are going to talk about play with books. Yeah, I think that is one of the most undiscussed versions of play. Yeah, we talk about nature play, we talk about outside play, we talk about risk you know, risky play. We talk about adventure play. We talk about, um, unstructured play and structured play. Um, but almost never is it, how do we play with books? What does literacy play look like? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I get real excited. So we'll have to talk about that another time. Okay. Another yeah.
0: time we will bring yeah. you back on and talk about literacy play. That would be awesome. Okay.
1: Yeah. So the only other thing that I wanted to mention about early learning is, um, the impulse control. Yes. Um, and what I've noticed is, as a as a working mother who does is always on the go, right? Um, it is so hard to slow down. So when we uh, when you and I sit here and talk about, we just need to slow down. It'll make the better world a better place. I mean, it is it's so it's nearly impossible. Feel it's a feeling that feels nearly impossible, right? Mm-hmm. But impulse control. You know, we have all these children these days having some challenges with impulse control and starting from a very early age using play it's almost can be considered like a therapy for working on impulse control and I can tell you um now I have this is another thing that's not in my bio um but here's to oversharing I have been diagnosed with ADHD as an adult I'm pretty sure my mom knew all along <laughs> but um but I've just been diagnosed as an adult and I wonder if more play especially in the school setting would have helped me with learning how to control my impulse, and now I'm seeing it in my in my you know children now so
0: i can I can verify for you that with link we have the four structured play breaks a day and true a d h d kids right they if you have these four breaks a day, the majority of kids will settle and calm and they'll they'll focus but your true ADHD kids will rise to the top. I mean, you'll notice that they need more movement even throughout their time in the classroom, not just at the outdoor playtime. But what I also know through watching and observing for 10 years now is that uh, kids with ADHD, we, if we're giving them these four breaks a day, they usually don't show up with these techniques you know, wanting to need to move more and all that until around third or fourth grade, because we're giving them enough movement time until we get into the harder subjects. Right. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden it's like, Oh,
1: that's what's scary though, is that I'm now what my work is in early childhood classrooms and we are restricting movement younger and younger and younger. And it is terrifying. Oh, I know. Um, even so I have a friend who does, um, she's a physical, pediatric physical therapist. And she, uh, discusses a lot about containers, mm-hmm. you know, and how even using a uh, baby containers, um, everything you strap a baby in, yeah. right. Because yeah. we're scared of them getting hurt or, or, mm-hmm. or being supervised during different things going on. Um, but it's just res- movement is being restricted younger and younger and younger. And so of course those true, true ADHD children are just being tortured.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I totally agree. Yeah. They need to move. They need to be able to experience and yeah, we're, we're shutting them down. Um, okay. So anything else on this particular part of the topic before I move into kind of the play experiences?
1: Um, I'm sure, but you can keep going. Okay.
0: Well, (laughs) let's, let's talk a little bit about executive function and cognitive abilities of kids that when we play certain ways, it really brings that forward and and strengthens, improves uh, cognition and executive function specifically. So you want to talk a little bit about that?
1: I mean, who wouldn't want to talk about that? I know. I
0: know. Um, So,
1: you know, again, these are real big words we're throwing around. And if we're thinking about um, educators, we really need to know the language to uh to be able to articulate what we're doing why we're doing it and how it supports children but for parents too i mean these are these are big words basically helping children think and plan and follow through and succeed in the world that we live in through failure at times right through failure at times it's not these words are not that this discussion is not let's prevent anything from going wrong ever you know we actually sometimes have to um provide a safe place, a safer place for, for natural problems to occur so that children will have the experience of, of working through that problem, right? And I know you know that we're speaking to the choir, right? But um, so thinking about early learning and executive yeah. function, um, you know, so I talked about impulse control, right? So we, that's already part of executive function. Yep,
0: absolutely. And I'm
1: and thinking about play experiences that support, co- support cognition and executive function are things that don't already have an outcome. Mm. So, for this, you know, for parents, uh, those of you listening who are who are learning about this for the first time, is um, providing some ex- some materials or an open slate and and not saying directions. <laughs> exactly. You know, and that's hard. And I've learned that through my own personal experiences with my own husband, right? Um, and I always wonder, like, at what point did most adults turn into people who needed directions? And I'm pretty sure it was public schools. <laughs> it, is. it is. We we train we train everybody to need directions, and then we're worried why. And then where's the innovative thinking when they're off getting their first jobs, right? Wow. Um, the the jobs of the future are unique. They have not even been created yet, and the people that are supposed to create them are my children, or the children who are growing. And and they don't have any experiences practicing those things. So it's so we need to go back, you know, go back to the basics and just say, here's some materials or here's a space that is safe for you to try out some ideas and think.
0: Okay, now I, I'm gonna throw this one to you if you wanna be honest about it right now. So your backyard. Oh, I love my backyard. Is is risky. It is risky. Mm-hmm. And so I want you to talk a little bit about, you know, how you've set up your own risky play back there that really builds the thinking and setting in motion and completing tasks.
1: Right. And also, and not all the adults who live in this house (laughs) have, have had the amount of training that, where that, the impact of what we have out there is understood. right? Right. Um, so it's a learning process. So just a description of one of the spaces outside, um, in my tree, we have a play platform. We don't call it a tree house because my daughter says it's not just a house. Um, so it's a play platform and it is uh, six feet up and it does not have a railing. And I am too. And I believe that when you put a, like a railing or, a, you know, I mean, you'd have to put a full fence up or nothing, because when you put like a faux railing, um,
0: kids, stop thinking.
1: well, kids stop thinking. They, they believe that will, that will save them. So they don't think as much, you know, their brain is not on as much. And so I want, when my children are up there, I want them to be thinking more than they've ever thought before to keep themselves safe and to have a, a gosh, golly good time. <laughs> I agree. Right? So there's also, um, I have, we have, uh, loose parts. And so uh, loose parts is something familiar to you. Yeah.
0: You want to give some examples? Yeah.
1: Unpredictable materials, materials that, um, don't necessarily have as exact purpose in the space they are in. Cause, uh, we have wood, right? Wood has a purpose, but, uh, the fact that it's just out there, um, and the children can use it in any way they want, makes it an unpredictable or a loose a material or loose part. Um, and we have pool, uh, ladders you know, the, you know, the above ground pool ladders, those are my favorite loose part in the world. (laughs) I mean, I like a lot of loose parts, but these are my big, big ones. So, so you can use them anywhere and you can turn them on their sides and use them in all spaces. And so when my one-year-old, um, it was about six feet tall, um, Mm -hmm. with the top step being about four and a half foot and the top, the top is just the handles. And at uh, my nine-month-old, 10-month-old began walking. Of course, what does that mean? They're also doing <laughs> climbing. Um, and so she began climbing up that ladder and over to the other side and down at about uh, under a year. Um, and only because I, I was open to trying that, right? Um, and the adults who also hear my parents and, and other people um, – we would put it. We would put it somewhere different. Um, what if I wasn't here? Because I don't believe in children getting hurt. I believe in being close enough when needed to make sure the child is doing a lot of the thinking. Does does not believe they need me, but if they need me, I'm close enough, right? So I'm not promoting everybody going out and letting their children just do anything, right? Because every child is at a different level. But I can say that I'm. I'm. I'm very thankful to have the knowledge I have and the experiences I have in my backyard, because if, if my children who attend schools in Texas, if they can't get what they need at school, then they can get some of that executive function, the nurture of those executive function skills, um, outside in the backyard. So.
0: Absolutely. I'm going to bring up something that's doing, going along with our research right now is working with contralateral movements. And when I say that it's like walking where you have, a right arm and a left leg stepping and swinging right and then it goes opposite so it's opposite connections with arm and leg limb movements or you can have more unilateral which is just using one arm at a time like swinging on something right or bilateral where you're on that platform of yours and you jump down on two feet off that platform that would be a, a bilateral those types of movements that are out there are connecting with the brain to connect a lot of neurological what i call highways which are the lines of communication that build your short term memory your inhibitions your impulse you know all the stuff that goes on working memory it's building all that so as you get older you have more capacity to take in knowledge to take in experiences, to really grow through all that. And so we're doing some of that research where we're looking at what they do on a playground during school time. And we're finding that contralateral movements are used more than any out there. Uh, But even said, children, 97% of the time, if they had a 15 minute recess, 97% of the time, children, whether they're doing 15 minutes a day or 60 minutes a day, Of that 15 minutes, 97% of the time is moving in one of these three types of movement, which is really cool. So I wanted to throw that out at you because that's some new research off the... I love it. And thank you for sharing. And I'm thinking too about, you know, when children
1: are naturally doing what they were born to do, they're working so hard at supporting their future knowledge, you know, retention and capacity. But if we don't, yeah, I just, I just get so nervous that like, if we let this go, if we don't keep talking about it, then the future is just looks so scary, right? I know, you know, it's
0: very bleak, yeah.
1: Yeah, I'm going to go in the backyard later and, and start um, tallying up how many movements fall into that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll send you the form. You can just okay. start taking them off, right? I will, I will. I, mean, I was going to show uh, share with you one more thing. That's an example, kind of like what you're talking about. I was helping a school. Uh, with the design of their playground. And one of the things they wanted to put out there was a a hill that had a chalkboard on the side of it so that kids could, you know, be running along and they could go and they could draw on the side of the hill. They could, you know, jump over it, whatever. And nobody mentioned what the kids started using it for, literally what they used it for. And so when they built this thing and they got the kids out there, they started using it as a slide They would get to the top of it and slide down the chalkboard. And and I, I thought to myself, you know, we put things in their path and we think we know what they're going to use it for. And what you've been talking about is so true. It's what they design it to be for, what they want it for. And when your daughter said, I don't want to be called a tree house, it's a tree platform. I get it. I do, because we have to stop, be silent, listen be able to see and understand and learn. So I think, yeah.
1: Yeah. And so that brings me to another point of nurturing, like nurturing play at a young age is what things are supposed to be used for and how many adults need support on seeing it in a different way, you know? And it's almost Absolutely. like you could, you could give yourself a little practice. A little here's your test. Okay. So everybody finds something like a spoon. You're in your kitchen, find a ladle you're in your car, find a, I don't know, a business card that you have in your, in your thing yeah. and, and think, and just start listing what that could be and everything that it's not right. So not a you can't say spoon or ladle, but you can say drumstick, uh, uh, getting fish out
0: of a pond.
1: There you go. Um, hat, like put it on your head, but you know, and it's, why is it so hard for, I mean, it was hard for me just now. And I do this for a living. I mean, <laughs> You know, it's so hard to do, but if we, just like you said, children have, they do it so easily. They already know what they want it to be. If we could just let go just a little bit, step back, try to understand their needs. And a lot of times they don't just do it for, sometimes it's dramatic play, right? It's a ladle. No, it's not a ladle. It's a, it's a sword. But actually, if we are even more silent and even more still, we might see that they're meeting their needs. And they're and they're building their capacity of all the things that you just said, right? That 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 future capacity of of learning Mm -hmm. and love and joy and life is all built on these this this foundation. So,
0: well, and and I I don't know about you, but I know that. Well, I do know you probably had a lot of play in your life growing up, and I know I had a lot of play in my life growing up, and to this day I still am very playful in how I remember those experiences and how much it built my confidence and built my self-esteem and helped me really be who I am today. I I can't take anything away from those experiences. Do you, do you agree that those are? Yeah,
1: Yeah, I I did a lot of play outside, you know, um, come and, you know, come home when the lights, when the street lights come on and kind of, um, and, you know, my great grandma's farm, you know, hay bale jumping and stuff like that. That's definitely how I was raised. And I'm, and I don't take any of it for granted either. I mean, I would definitely not be the same person And the self-esteem thing. It's interesting that you say that, and I'm working on my own mental health every single day. I don't know if that's something you work on every day, <laughs> but I, you know, I think maybe sometimes when you have down days, maybe you need to go play a little, you know, I need to go right, let it out because a society, it's so weird when someone wants to play as an adult. But it's not. It's not weird. <laughs> it's
0: it's so not weird at all. So much joy in play, being playful, right? There is nothing wrong with even swinging on a swing, right? Just moving. So through. good for
1: your system. So therapeutic and rhythmic, right?
0: Yes. Well, Tessa, we're about out of time here. Okay. <laughs> but I love what we've talked about. And I would love to bring you back some time to yeah. talk about some of the other things that we've mentioned today on this. Um, and I look forward to the next time that you're on. I know, you know, we're going to, we're going to talk a little bit about schools this next time and what parents are wanting for, for their kids in schools and what principals think parents want. So we'll get to that on the next one, but I'm really looking forward to it. Thanks for today. Is there anything that you'd like to part with?
1: I say, I just want to say thank you for the platform and getting a chance to chat about this. Of course, you can hear the passion in my, in my voice. Um, I just, for parents, for nurturing play at a young age, I'm just going to say that while it's hard to slow down, uh, if you're a to-do list kind of person, put it on your to-do list, put play with my child. And then when you're done, you'll get to check it off.
0: Great, great advice. That's awesome. <laughs> I definitely love it. helped me. <laughs> Well, and you're very welcome. I loved having you on this platform so that you could speak about what you're so passionate about. I really appreciate that. I look forward to the next time. Thanks, Tessa. See you soon. Okay. And as always, take care, have a great week, and play often. This podcast was brought to you by the
1: Link Center for Healthy Play at Texas Christian University. To learn more about the Link Center and the resources mentioned in today's episode, visit our website at www.liinkproject.tcu.edu.